This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Katherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And I am absolutely delighted to be talking today with Gayla Jennings O'Byrne and Piali Aditya. They are general partners of the Walkstar Fund. So the Walkstar Fund is W-O-C Star Fund, W-O-C Women of Color Star Fund. The Walkstar Fund is an early stage venture fund that invests in women of color and their diverse tech teams. I'll be talking today with Gayla and, and uh, Piali about their fund, what they're doing, the current moment when we're seeing uh, a tremendous increase in interest in investing in women of color, other people of color, and really driving racial equity uh, in this country. Uh, so Gayla and Piali, thank you so much for being with us. Let me ask you each to introduce yourself uh, and uh, Gayla, you're a, a Wharton alum. Let's start with you. I'm a proud Wharton alum, absolutely. And thank you for having me. Um, I'm Gayla Jennings O'Byrne, and I have had a 20 plus year in Silicon Valley and Wall Street and decided a couple of years ago that I would start uh, investing actively in a population, you know, well, and in technologies that I love. And fantastic. And Piali, uh, share with us your introduction too, please. Yes, thanks for having us, Catherine. Um, so I'm Piali. I'm an investor and an operator, and I've been focused on the startup community since the first dot-com boom. After graduating from Stern undergrad, I started my career in corporate venture capital for five years, five years, and went to Harvard for a business school, after which I took on senior operating roles within two publicly traded companies. I even went the entrepreneurial route and started my own um, started my own company called Mintbox, which had a thankfully successful exit. Fantastic. So you bring a, a lot of experience in the corporate world. Uh, Gailey, you bring a lot of uh, experience also in the corporate world, but particularly in finance. So uh, this is a fantastic team to, uh, to launch the Walkstar Fund. Gailey, Tell us about your vision for this fund. How do you describe the Walkstar Fund? What are you trying to do and why? Sure. Um, you know, it really came about because I had been doing a lot of investing as an individual in women and women of color and tech startups and saw this huge gap, if you will. I mean, a lot of people describe it as a gap. I actually think it's an arbitrage situation in which I just saw a lot of undercapitalized companies that had huge valuation potential. And so our goal is really to change the trajectory, not only for the companies that we're investing in, but also for investors. Um, because the other side of this is that there's so many people that are looking for smart investments and they're not finding the great companies and founders that we are. And so the fund is our way to one, change the trajectory for businesses, um, but also for investors. And the beauty is that we get to do it across a number of technologies that are going to impact how we work and how we live and how we socialize and how we consume and how we take care of our health and our planet. Talk a little bit, if you can, about the disparity that now exists in, in investing in women, uh, you know, women of color 
you know, the 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 numbers are are shocking about how little funding goes to companies founded by by women of color. You know, I think that the stati- one statistic, for example, is that the median investment by equity investors in uh, in businesses is a million dollars, whereas for um, minority-owned businesses, it's one hundred and eighty-five. $1,000. Of course, most women of color are not getting even that amount of funding. Um, so huge disparities in the amount of funding that's available from the venture community, from private equity into, into women of color. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, uh, the billions, and then I'm just talking the venture capital asset class, the billions in venture capital that is invested in startups, only 1% is being directed to populations of inclusive and diverse and people of color teams. Uh, And what's unfortunate about that is one, because if we look at the things they're building, they're going to benefit all of us, right? Who doesn't right now benefit from caller ID or call waiting or fiber optic networks or central heating or that little call button on the plane to signal the flight attendant? Those were all innovations by people of color. So just imagine all the other things that we see that are being built right now. The other disparity, unfortunately, is that these companies, and the data is there, Kaufman has a a wonderful report and it's on our website if anyone wants to read it, um, that the returns by investing in this population is 30% greater than investing in all white led teams. So yes, the disparities there and the realities are there that signal that this is a great space in which to be investing. Unfortunately, the way our capital is structured, our infrastructure, and I'd say even the bias of the investors themselves is not helping change those numbers yet. So, you know, what you're describing, Gayla, is uh, that, you know, I I love the examples you provide of of innovations that were, you know, first patented by women of color, so many things that people don't know. You know, you're telling us that, hey, this huge disparity is not because these companies don't exist and these founders and innovators don't exist. Uh, It's that they're not, the venture capital dollars are not flowing to them. So, Piali, let me turn to you and have you tell us about you know, what do you say to investors who would, who might look at these numbers and say, yeah, it's a shame. It's a real shame, but we just can't find the pipeline. We just don't see viable companies. What is what is your experience? What is your answer to that? I would say talk to Gayla and I because we see a lot of them. You know, we've been um, we've been lucky to be in the same networks as your traditional VCs. You know, when we did the Ivy League business schools, and we worked for large corporations, but we have access to a number of accelerators and groups that are focused on people of color. And we've seen, because of that, we've seen a robust pipeline of women of color building companies in areas that you wouldn't think of, you know, machine learning, smart cities, health and wellness. These are companies that we've actually, and media, these are companies that we've actually invested in. And, you know, I should say that you are you are both women of color. And, you know, as you've said, you're you're seeing these you are connected with uh, companies founded by women of color. What are the, the barriers? I mean, the, you know, the 
are venture capital investors not rational actors looking at opportunities, screening things fairly? You know, this is this. These are economic decisions. Why are investors leaving so much money on the table? This is what you're telling us that these companies exist. What's happening? And I'll go to you, Piali, first. For what's happening for these entrepreneurs that they are not able to get the attention of traditional and that would be male-dominated or white-dominated venture capital? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there is an unconscious bias that exists in the industry or in many industries, but specifically in the venture capital industry. And you tend to have an affinity for certain things. We all do. So VCs tend to invest in what they know and what they like and what they're familiar with. And when you're a person of color, you see things, you have a different background and a different experience. So when it comes to actually coming up with an idea or trying to solve a problem, you're probably solving a problem that your traditional white VC uh, male hasn't seen just because they don't have that point of view. And then if you think about actually starting a company, you know, the the net worth of the white American family is 10 times that of black families. And that's come up in a lot of research, most recently with the Brookings Institution. And in startups, that means a black founder is less likely to have a family member who could put that tens of thousands of dollars into the idea of a startup, then you can get to the traction and so and then get in front of a Sequoia. And that just is harder to do. I would add to that um, what I'm calling venture splaining. So we all know what mansplaining is. I think there's a lot of venture splaining going on, which is venture and the investors behind them, right? So maybe it's white investor privilege, but it's this notion of I know better how to make investments. I know better how to invest in this population than you people of color investors, and I can't find any. So therefore they don't exist. And so I think if we're gonna have that real conversation, which I hope in these times and with all the unrest that's taking place, that it stimulates this conversation, is we've gotta think differently about what it means to invest and really be okay with economic justice. And part of that is, we have to get okay with giving the tools and the capital to people of the color to invest in people of color. Because Smart yeah. Money says, the way I lower my risk is I allow the person that has the most experience and domain expertise to deploy that capital and use it to build. Yeah, I'd add also to Gala's point, when VCs are adding, let's say they're adding new associates or partners, it shouldn't just be title infl inflation. They should have check writing abilities. That person of color should be seated at the table at the investment committee to have a vote, to sit on boards, to have economics in that actual deals, to have carry. Yeah, and unfortunately the representation of people of color in VC is at 3%. And the new funds like ours that are now on the market and know where these founders and startups are, um, are also undercapitalized as well. So when you put all of that together, you have a lot of great headlines and accelerators and pitch competitions, but you have very little deployment of capital. 
into what is for uh, specifically black women, the fastest growing population of startups. Yeah, what you see is a lot of mentoring and networking advice, which isn't enough. Like we need people to start writing checks. I'm, I'm struck as you speak by a, a, a recent study. This is a, a Morgan Stanley funded uh, survey that was done in, uh, in 2018. Uh, so before the current moment, but not very long ago, uh, where they surveyed uh, 100 investors and um, about 80% of them said that minority owned businesses were receiving more capital than they deserve or about the right amount of capital. So, you know, there is still a, there, there's so many uh, elements to this conversation, so much change that needs to occur in, in raising awareness that no, you know, minority owned businesses aren't getting the, uh, the right amount of capital, uh, that there are viable businesses, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that and just at every step of the process, there's, there's an awful lot to be, to be learned here. So Gaila, let me let me turn this to you and say you are we are seeing in this moment many traditional, very large uh, VC and, and private equity funds saying we need to do better. We're going to invest in people of color. You know, we are dedicating millions of dollars for this. What is your advice to them so that they actually deploy this capital and deploy it effectively? Sure. Uh, I think it's really simple. Right, and I, I can't take credit for these words. There's a great article about this, and if people want to, um, please go to our website. We have a tab in there of ways to get involved. And we have all this research and and uh, information. Um, but it's really simple: make the hire and write the check. And by that, we've got to step back and look at the fact that yes, there's a lot of well-meaning um, efforts that are out there. But again, they come back to what we talked about, which is if we don't put the tools and the capital in the hands of those that know best these markets, we're just going to be repeating the same things that we've done before. And that 1% number will not change. The 30% returns will probably get even better, right? But I would say if we don't change, there's going to be so many investors that are missing out on some really good investments. And so what can we do? We can A, start writing checks to the startups of color, right? Diverse startups. We can start investing in new emerging funds that have people of color and diverse GPs, right? Because they know where these companies are. And we've got to get okay with the idea that this can be done and it doesn't have to be held by me, Mr. Venture Capital, myself. And then for the individual investor, we can either directly call these new emerging funds. We can call our financial advisor and start asking why are you not putting me or at least showing me some of these kinds of funds. We can start asking our pension representatives, right? We can ask our endowment folks and our foundation people. And those are all things that we can be doing today and tomorrow. And uh, thank you. And, and Piali, I'm curious to know uh, how you all are screening companies. You know, is this is this very much? You know, you're a, you're an early stage venture capital fund. If I came and and uh, compared your processes to other early stage venture capital funds, what would be the same and might make any venture capitalist say, "Yeah, this is serious, good due diligence." And what would make them say, oh, if anything, oh, there's something different here to the process? 
that's a great question. Um, you know, there's a lot that we do that's similar. You know, we look at the founder and the team and how they know each other. How, we look at their conviction. Um, but Gail and I spend a lot of time with the company. So we want to also see what it's like to, to work with them and do we like them as individuals. Um, also, similarly, we look at product and tech. Is, is it a disruptive technology? Do they have a proof of concept or some sort of prototype, um, a real product roadmap and validation for that product? We look at the market and how big is that market? Are they even better? You know, with COVID, there's a huge market opportunity to create new markets. Um, so are they doing that or, or do they have to take market share away from current players? And what, what is that? go-to-market strategy, as well as looking at their traction. But um, one of the biggest things that I think differentiate us is this hand-holding. We always, Gail and I always talk about tough love. And, um, you know, today, as I mentioned, with the pandemic, the volatility really breeds opportunity. If you look at companies like Airbnb, Uber, Dropbox, they came out during a recession. So certain sectors are poised to flourish in a, in a post-virus world. Um, and there's opportunities to find um, disruption, like lower CPAs or real differentiation in challenging times. So I, you know, if I were to talk to a startup who's looking to raise, like, you know, if you're looking at COVID today, like, look at your burn, you know, look at your runway across scenarios, take care of your team, then get back to work, but think through the implications of a prolonged downturn and the impact of a new normal on your business, because Flu season's coming soon in the winter. Will it be flu? Will it be COVID? You know, so how long is this going to go for? Um, don't be afraid to pivot, which is one of the things we're working on with a current portfolio. Um, and if you need to raise, be realistic about the terms. Consider optimizing for speed and maybe even raising a buffer for your buffer. And we built out our due diligence uh, process with Wharton Social Impact Initiative and students from uh, Wharton undergrad and grad. And the reason why is because we wanted to make sure that we were being so rigorous that they could take the process that they've gone through with us and go across the street and talk to a family office, another VC, or an individual investor. And so all the rigor that you would want from the large companies and large funds, we've incorporated that into what we do. But that tough love that uh, PLE talked about, I think is our, our magic sauce because we can get in and have real conversations and, and there's a trust to share with us warts and all. And our motto is, you know, we leave no uh, woman behind. You know, a lot of venture is an 80-20 rule, um, but our goal is that we are builder capitalists as opposed to venture capitalists. We're not venturing into this, we're building with them. And that I think is the, the magic sauce uh, that makes us different. And it also is why we have deals that others don't see. I mean, we, we were in this for two years without ever writing a check. And so we knew we were adding value to startups and founders because they were still coming to us even without a check to be able to provide them. And we haven't left that, that motto. Yeah, and I would add that most companies won't get funded by us that we see, but um, we do provide a lot of resources on the Walkstar website for the founders to go back and figure out better ways to pitch or put a 
their pitch deck together, other accelerators or resources for them to go to. And maybe it's not even venture capital. Maybe it's other sources of funding. Let me ask you both. Um, I'll, uh, I'll start with you, Piali. I think there's some things that are potentially surprising about your fund and, you know, only surprising because so many of us are biased in our assumptions. Um, you know, so many of us are racist in our assumptions. So let me start with uh, Walkstar and your focus on women of color tech companies. You know, can you find tech companies? I think for many, uh, many people who hear about your fund, they, they, you know, they, they don't think, oh, women, obviously a tech company, uh, much less women of color, obviously a tech company. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think you hit it. The most people assume since we're focused on women of color, that, you know, we're, and we have to say tech because they'll, they're going to assume that we're investing in, I don't know, restaurants, cake, uh, cupcake shops or a hair care company that doesn't have a tech component. They're very, when we show people, and Gail and I put this together on more than a monthly basis, our deal pipeline. When investors see our pipeline, they're surprised at how robust it is. And, you know, that women of color are investing, are starting companies in smart, around smart cities. They have deals with the city of New York or other other um, government bodies that they're focused, they have a science that is revolutionary and going to help um, help solve the, the COVID pandemic as well as other pandemics. Um, so they're surprised to see that the pipeline is actually there. Oh, I was just going to add, um, you know, listen, we're capitalists, right? Like let's, we can be women, we can be black and we can be capitalists. And so as smart investors that we are, we look where's the highest returns, where's the biggest potential. And for us, it's in the tech space, COVID, edutech. We're seeing some really cool things in the fintech space, AI, VR. I mean, you know, how we're going to, you know, what how schools are going to look in the future, right? That technology that's going to fuel all of that. Uh, what food and agricultural supply chain looks like. All of those questions and problems that are out there, we have women and diverse teams that are solving and building the answers for those. So I, I'm, I'm gathering, Gayla, and we'll just confirm confirm this, that you are not envisioning, envisioning concessionary returns here. This is, this is not, um, that is not the, the goal of your fund. No, I like money and I like winners. <laughs> and I think efforts that frame investing in women or people of color as charity or impact is somehow less or, or is somehow less competitive with investments that expect outlier returns. That that just shows a natural bias. Uh, yes, absolutely. And such an interesting an interesting question uh, for for impact investors to wrestle with is. You know, is is the branding and the image of impact in, investing such that we don't see these winners and we're and we're or we're perceived as not? So, uh, yeah. really important what you all are are doing. You can win and you can generate returns and impact, right? Like the very nature of what we do, the teams we invest in, the stabilizing of their communities and the solutions that they're building out are impactful. But we lead with innovation, profitability, and capital, and the, and the foundation of capitalism. 
That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for talking with us about the Walkstar Fund and good luck to you. Uh, and, you know, I, this is this has been a great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity to do it, even though we're still in a COVID world and apart. And it's been a fantastic conversation. And uh, we wish you great success and look forward to checking in in a year or two and saying, how is the Walkstar Fund done? Have, has capital been moving to your fund and, and into really high impact, high, you know, high performance tech companies founded by, by women of color with their diverse teams? So it's a fantastic vision and good luck to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.